Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So today we are in week two of our sermon series called Christmas is Bigger Than You Think. And remember what we're doing in this series, instead of walking through the Christmas story again, because I think we've all kind of got the gist of that story. We are examining some of the most important New Testament passages that are not necessarily connected to Christmas or, or not what we normally think of as Christmas passages, but teachings that if you know what to look for and how to connect the dots, that actually help us to understand Christmas in even deeper and more powerful ways. So last week, what we uncovered as we jumped into this series is that part of the deeper meaning of Christmas is about God sending his son into the world who has been with him since the beginning as the reflector of his glory in the exact imprint of his essence to take God's plan of saving and redeeming and restoring all things to the next level. Or what God did was he sent Jesus into the world as his ultimate revelation to fulfill, to bring to completion and finish the work that God started in the Old Testament, which ultimately means that through the birth of Jesus, a seismic shift has taken place in the world that changes everything. But as you keep all of that in the back of your minds, the scripture that we're going to be jumping into today to help us continue to work our way into the vastness of Christmas is Philippians 2. 1 through 11. Because again, this scripture, even though it's not what we think about as a normal Christmas passage, it has a whole lot to teach us about the depth of what happened when Christ was born. So to give you some perspective, the context of Philippians is this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is basically sitting in prison because of professing the faith. And while he is in prison, Paul kind of gets these rumors, gets winds that there's this infighting, there's, there's trouble in this church that he started in Philippi. And so it is into this place of disagreement and infighting that Paul writes these words of wisdom to help this church get back on track while helping us to see Christmas in a bigger way. So Paul begins in this way. He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion, any sympathy, or what Paul is doing here before he jumps into the issue at hand is he begins this teaching by appealing to the affections of these people or the place that these people hold him in his heart. In a sense, this is kind of a, a buttering up, if you will, because he's fixing to drop a bomb on them. And basically what he says is this, hey guys, if I've ever brought you any kind of encouragement, if I've ever been a source of comfort for you, or if I've ever done anything at all for you, then this is what you could do to make me happy. This is what you could do to make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Or, or what you guys need to do if you want to make me happy is you just need to stop fighting with one another and get on the same page. Or instead of spending all your time in competition with one another, what you've got to understand is that we're all on the same page. 
We're meant to be on the same page and heading in the same direction. And oh, by the way, the way you do that is by doing this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Or in other words, if you really want to heal those divisions, if you really want to fix this church, then what you've got to realize is that this church is not, nor has it ever been just about you and what you want. So instead of walking around thinking that you're the end-all, be-all when it comes to the, the nature of the church, or instead of being that person who is so convinced that you're right, that you feel God has called you to fight against all those other ding-dongs who clearly have it wrong, right? At least in your humble opinion. What you need to be doing is this, which again is one of the most radical statements that Paul makes in any of his letters. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourself. Let each of you not look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Or instead of getting swept up in your own ego as you strive to get what you want, which, by the way, let's be honest, this is how we all work. What you need to do is humble yourself. You need to step down off the podium at the center of the universe. And instead of devoting yourself to your own interest, you need to give your life to the interest of others. Or you need to be the one who serves, not the one who is served. And to see how this teaching has the ability to not only transform any church, but to turn our worlds, our lives, everything upside down. Just imagine if this really was the way you chose to live every part of your life. Or instead of spending all of your time sitting around thinking about you and yourself, which again is our default position, that's what we do. What if you really did put the interest of others before yourself? How would your life look different? How would the world look different? Or to make things really, really uncomfortable in here because I like to do that on occasion. Just imagine if this is the way our politicians dealt with one another. If this is the way we dealt with those people that we disagree with. Because that's the radical nature of what Paul is trying to get at here through this teaching, through trying to heal this church. But then what we find as we, we move on is that Paul gets even more radical than that. Because right after Paul gives the Philippian church this simple yet powerful teaching that will transform them, he then goes on to say something that should make your mouth fall open every time you hear it as he puts into perspective why it is we should think this way, why it is we should put others first, because it goes against everything that, that we think and believe. He continues, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Jesus, or the reason why Paul gives for why we need to put others first is because that's what Jesus did. That's the way Jesus thought. That was behind everything that he came to accomplish in the world. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard his equality with God as something to be exploited 
or even though Jesus was in the form of God, was with God, and is God, this identity is not something that Jesus used for his own advantage. This is not something he exploited for his own gain. No, instead what Jesus did with all of those powers is he emptied himself. He emptied himself. The Greek word kenosis here means to literally empty out a container. So Jesus took all that power and glory and everything that it means to be the Son of God, and instead of using all of that for his benefit and his gain, he emptied himself and did this. He took the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. He became one of us. For he didn't come into the world full of power and might and make this all about himself. And in a sense, he didn't come into the world to get what he wanted. No, the reason Jesus came into the world was to be a servant or to regard others as better than himself by making our needs and the needs of the world more important than his own needs. Which in turn is why in the end, Jesus doesn't hold anything back when it comes to serving his people, when it comes to serving the world. But being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, in his devotion to the world, in his service to the world, gives his everything, gives his life to make a way for every single person who has ever lived. To have a deep and abiding relationship with the creator of the universe. Which begins now. And goes on forever. And then because of all of that. Or because Jesus puts the needs of others before himself. Therefore God also highly exalted him. And gave him a name. That is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I'll give you a moment. Now what all of that has to teach us about bigger and deeper meaning of Christmas is that it reveals to us, it puts into perspective the kind of God who showed up Christmas morning. Because this God, instead of making some kind of grand entrance into the world by just appearing or beaming in, in all of his glory and might, and then forcing everyone to bow at his feet as he ruled over them, because God could have done this, God is all-powerful. This God emptied himself. This God emptied himself by taking the form of the slave and being born in human likeness. Or in other words, this God didn't come into the world through some rich and powerful family in a way that everyone would sit up and take notice. Nor did this God come with power and, and might, pushing himself on others. No, this God showed up through a couple of no-name Galilean peasants as a powerless baby boy born in a barn in the middle of nowhere, Israel, as the servant Savior of the world. 
or in a sense, if you were to imagine how an all-powerful God would make a grand entrance into the world given his limitlessness, what happened on Christmas is almost the exact opposite of what you would expect. But that's the point, right? That's the point. Because what this brilliant passage has to teach us about Christmas is that the God who was born into this world a little over 2,000 years ago was and is a servant God. A God who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, his everything, to save, redeem, and restore all things. Which then makes it very, very clear that, that as followers of this servant Savior, our goal is not to be the one with all the prestige and wealth. And neither should our goal be about getting what we want. No, our goal should be to serve the world and others in the same way that our God came to serve us. Because that's not only how we fix a church that is warring. That's how we show his love to the world every single day. That's how we play our part in bringing heaven to earth. And that's also another one of the deeper meanings of Christmas and why Christmas is way bigger than you think. Let us pray. Fathers, we come before you this morning. Our prayer as we make our way through this series is we want to know you more. We want to understand the miracle of Christmas in even deeper ways. And so today, help us to see that you are a servant God. A God who came in the world, not just to be served, but to serve others. To give your life, to give your everything so that we would have a way home, so that we could know you and live in relationship with you in the here and now and forevermore. So Lord, help us not just to understand that with our minds. Help, us, help that not just to be knowledge, but, but move that from our heads to our hearts so that we can live it every single day or so that we can have the mind of Christ by serving and loving the world with everything that we are. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.